1931, Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World, a look at a world gone mad. In 1958, he revisited Brave New World and was horrified at how much faster we were hurtling toward his vision of the future than he had anticipated. Well, the third millennium suggests to Mr. Huxley, hold my beer. And to walk you through this minefield, your leader, Dan Newman. You know, sometimes things just don't work out like they're supposed to. You ever deal with a piece of equipment that just drove you nuts all the time? That's what's happening here in the TNN Live studio. Now, you don't want to hear about that. You don't want to hear about the issues here. You've got plenty of your own. Okay, let's just get right to that. What's going on in your world today? It's Thursday, and the weekend's just around the corner. So if you don't have anything else to look at that's positive that you can be happy about, (laughs) maybe you don't like where you work, maybe you don't like your job, maybe you don't like your boss, all of those things, they can get to you and they get to all of us. You know, one real easy way, I don't know that it's easy, let me rephrase that, one good way to take care of those things is just to put them out of your mind. You have control of your mind. If you don't, you need to figure out, learn how to do that. You choose what thoughts you want to think. You can stop a thought in the middle of it. You can can think of the first part of something, but that doesn't mean you necessarily have to go all the way through and just take that thought, put it in your mind, put it in your heart, obsess over it, and get nowhere at the end of it, but more and more upset. Make good choices in that regard, and it'll make your life a whole lot easier. So, I started this by saying, equipment problems, equipment problems, equipment problems. Let me tell you what's happening right now. When when we're on the air, our microphone is muted, and I have headphones on, and I can listen to every element of the show. When we play commercials, uh, when we have a caller calling in with these sound bites that we share every day with you to get you up to date on what's going on. I'm listening to all of that as I'm talking to you right now. Just to illustrate to you how crazy it is, my voice is coming back to me through the headphones about a half second later (laughs) than when I say it. So can you imagine the difficulty of being able to just forget about that? Hey, 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 it's in my mind. I'm either going to obsess about it or just going to push through whatever the problem is. And if this is the worst problem I have today, the worst problem I have this week, I'm a blessed man because many people, including probably many of you that are listening in today, you have some really big challenges and yours, I'm certain, are much bigger than having a little delay in the sound of my voice coming back through these headphones. Now, let me tell you the track it goes on. When we, when we speak to you, let me tell you, where the signal for us to be able to do that, where it goes. Our studio is in Shreveport, Louisiana. When we speak, it goes into our system here, out our system, and our internet provider beams the signal up to a satellite, down to Dallas, from Dallas, Texas, to Seattle, Washington. And what you're hearing 
is actually a signal coming from Seattle, Washington. So for those of you that occasionally listen in live in New Zealand and Australia, think about the mileage that we make to get to you (laughs) that only takes a few seconds. Isn't it amazing what technology has done in our lives? And it's changed our lives in many respects, and it continues to do it. And I guess what we do, folks, is, is we just take advantage of all of that. We don't even think about it. I know in my life, I'm, I'm hardly ever thankful for the technology that we have. But to put it in just plain old plain old right now, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing visiting with you unless we had the technological capability that somebody somewhere figured out how to put together and make it work. And there were so many moving parts in that. Just the illustration I gave you about our signal. I mean, I've, I've got an iMac, a big iMac sitting on the desk in front of me. Everything goes into that. Everything you hear goes into that. Our openings, our closings, our commercials, my microphone feed, when you make a call, when you call in, all of that goes through the equipment here into the iMac, out of the iMac electronically, the signal's mixed here, and it goes, like I said, to Dallas and then to Seattle. A lot of moving parts, a lot of people, a lot of technology, and a lot of history goes into everything you see on television, everything you listen to in your, in your car, I mean, XM Satellite Radio, there's a prime example. They do the same thing. Their studios, XM, let's see, it's XM Sirius, Sirius XM. That's what they changed the name when they merged. Their headquarters are in Dallas. And so their studios, for a lot of those people that you hear, are in Dallas, but a lot of them are in New York. A lot of them in Los Angeles. So how do they put it all together just like we're doing here? They sit at a, at a desk, in a room, in a studio, and they all have engineers that play all of the commercials and they run the microphones and take call-ins and all that kind of stuff. But the concept works exactly the same. They beam it up to a satellite and then it goes from their distribution around the world. And so, the set, because they are 24-7 worldwide, the satellite that it hits at first It shoots the signal to other satellites just to make sure they cover the world. Ours doesn't beam to all 192 countries on the planet. Ours only goes to about 90. So we don't have as many pings from satellite to satellite with our signal as uh, Sirius XM does with their programming. But isn't it miraculous that all of this just comes together And it's amazing, and we never think about it. We never think about, to be honest with you, a lot of the good things that we have in our lives that we take for granted. A lot of that starts with the people with whom we live, our spouses, our kids, the neighborhoods you're in. How well do you know your neighbors? Great confession for me. Where we live now is the first time in many years that I can tell you all my neighbors' names in a close proximity of here behind us, next to us on both sides, around the corner. It's just a good neighborhood, and people do that. You could do it in your neighborhood. You could be the instigator to get it going. Maybe they don't like you. Maybe they don't like you because 
They don't know anything about you. How are they going to get to know you unless they get to know you? (laughs) How did I get off on this track? Just basically to say everything doesn't work perfectly all the time. But what is all the time is our lives. And those are pretty darn good things to be experiencing, I got to say. I'm thankful today. I'm thankful for all I have. And I don't have a lot. I really don't. But it really doesn't matter in dollars and cents if I do or if I don't. That's not what makes me tick. What makes me tick is the fact that I have a wonderful wife who's been my wife for 47 years. We have three children, all adults, two of our kids have grandkids to us, six of them. They're all healthy, and I'm so glad about that. Health means a lot. If that's all you have today, take a moment and thank God for your health. And if you don't have health, good health, we'll pray with you about it. But what you need to do is find all the other things that you have that are good things that maybe you don't really deserve. But because of some of the seeds you put in the ground and you watered it through the years, at the end of it, bam, you got something good. Maybe a little struggle there, but still, you have something good. Man, you can get in the news and you can sure see and hear about people around the world that don't have it quite as good as you and I. I think we all can relate to that. This mess in Ukraine, it just keeps it just keeps morphing. I, I don't understand, and to be quite honest with you, the fact that very few, even our military leaders, understand all this process. Does that speak to the fact that Russian President Vladimir Putin is smarter than our military leaders? Because they haven't figured him out. Oh, they all come to the microphones and TV cameras and they do these reports and they tell us, oh, here's what's going on. We did this. We gave them that. And this is going to help them. I actually heard one military expert brag yesterday that yesterday a bunch of the ground equipment, military equipment, that we sent to them, they were bragging about it that it landed yesterday And now some of our military experts are training the Ukrainian soldiers how to use it. I think it's wonderful that we're sending this stuff. I really do. But dadgummit, it's 53 days since this war started. And President Volodymyr Zelensky was praying publicly, asking, begging publicly, for our president to send weapons to Ukraine to arm them for the impending invasion of Russia weeks before Putin actually initiated this war. So what does that mean? 60 plus days, Volodymyr Zelensky has been begging the United States for weapons. You remember the the title to that story we did? It was front page news. The White House reached out to Volodymyr Zelensky, offered him and his family, hey, we'll come get you and take you out of there and take you somewhere where you're going to be safe. And his response was, I don't need a ride. Send me bullets. That was 60 plus days ago. And this massive, now I know we've sent some things over there before. They've got some stuff. 
But obviously it's not necessarily the things they need. They're begging, as are his military leaders, not just from us, but from their neighbors in Europe. People got to understand, if Putin is successful with this thing in Ukraine and he makes Ukraine a territory of Russia, he will not stop there. He's going west. And he will plow through, especially the northern European countries, in little or no time. There are countries over there that don't have an army. You realize Germany doesn't have an army? They pretty much shut down their entire military operations. And they're relying on NATO to protect them. I don't know who you are. I don't know why that decision was made. But I'm not a brain surgeon, and I'm certainly not a military expert, but I can say this about that. That was stupid. At least keep a skeleton of an army in case something happens internally that overcomes your local and your state and country police law enforcement. You know, that happens every once in a while. There's a big invasion. We've got a story this morning about what's going on in Ireland, of all places. What could possibly be happening in Ireland? Well, what do you think's going on in Ireland right now? Millions of people have left Ukraine. Where have they gone? Some gone to Poland. Some gone to some other countries over there. But a bunch of them have showed up in Ireland. And they're having real difficulty with that. Not a police difficulty per se, but taking care of all of the issues that you have to take care of when you have several million refugees trying to find a place to put their heads on a pillow. Did you hear about what Vladimir Putin did yesterday? It's a really big deal. They tested the new Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missile in what Putin hails as truly unique weapon. So their defense ministry announced yesterday it had just conducted the first test launch of that new intercontinental ballistic missile. By the way, a nuclear weapon, this missile is, that Putin says will provide food for thought for those who try to threaten our country. I guess the timing of this test wasn't just... uh, Oh, it's just going to happen today. No big deal. I think it was kind of planned. And he obviously sent a message to everybody on the planet. The ministry said the missile was launched from the Plestik launch facility in northern Russia, and its practice warheads hit exactly where they were supposed to hit at that Kurov firing range on the far eastern peninsula, Kamchatka Peninsula. Russian media said this, this truly unique weapon will strengthen the combat potential of our armed forces, reliably ensure Russia's security from external threats, and provide food for thought for those who, in the heat of frenzied aggressive rhetoric, try to threaten our country. There is no doubt that test was nothing but rubbing it in the faces of every nation leader on earth because that missile at hypersonic speed can go anywhere in the earth, anywhere from northern Russia. It has the capability 
And they have the warheads, the nuclear warheads to stick on it. And don't think they just had this one that they fired. They never produced that. They got a bunch of them. It's a heavy missile. It's intended to replace their Soviet-made Voyevoda missile, which was codenamed Satan by the West. Putin said it's capable of penetrating any prospective missile defense. It has no analogs in the world and won't have for a long time to come. Putin also called the reported launch a big significant event for Russia's defense industry. They rely on land-based ICBMs as the core of their nuclear deterrent and is counting on the Sarmat for decades to come. So if you're wondering what is going on behind the thinking of those that are running this Ukraine invasion, you know, the generals and the bureaucrats in Russia, don't ever hesitate in knowing for a fact that the guy that's calling all the shots, pulling all the strings, is not some general in the Russian military. It's former KGB operative and hardcore hater Vladimir Putin. He knows a lot. He knows a lot about war. He's been in it. He understands it. We don't have, here in the United States, we don't have anybody that has the expertise in things regarding war. We don't have any elected person at the top of our government that can match him in understanding things of war. That should scare us all to death. What other things are happening over there? Mariupol, that big city down at the bottom, right there on the Black Sea, they have been just pummeled for weeks now, every day. Bombs, missiles, internally sweeping through that city. We have no idea how many people are still there, how many are alive. The fighting, we know, has killed thousands of men, women, and children. And guess what happened overnight? Putin told the military regarding Mariupol not to just go ahead and basically level it, but to back off. Why would he do that? Well, if they back off, what happens? Everybody inside that's left What are they going to do? They don't have the ability to do anything. They're just going to sit there and hope that somehow, some way, they're spared. Putin's sending a message. He told his military, just retool and prepare. Wait for my orders. I think he's going to obliterate, obliterate Mariupol just to send the message to everybody on earth. Don't think that we can't do this. We've done it before. And if you get in the same place that Ukraine did with us, we'll do the same thing to you. And don't think he can't do it. He may die trying, and a lot of Russians may die along with him. But he certainly has the ability to do it. He has the power. Forces are advancing in other areas. Over in Donbass, in that region, which continues to be bombarded by constant rocket attacks. High levels of Russian air activity continue as Moscow is seeking to provide close air support 
to Putin's offensive in eastern Ukraine and to suppress and destroy Ukrainian air defense capabilities. The intelligence updates that we're getting, they typically come days after Zelensky said Putin had launched a new phase of Russia's war in Ukraine by pushing into eastern Ukraine's, that's the Donbass region. Zelensky declared early this week, the Battle of Donbass has now begun. We can now say that Russian forces have started the Battle of Donbass, for which they have long prepared. On Facebook, the Ukrainian Armed Forces Command said Russia's main military force is concentrating on taking control of the entirety of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions that make up the swath of land known as the Donbass. The second phase of the war has begun. Believe in our army. It's very strong. The Ukrainian president's chief of staff wrote on the Telegram messaging app. Zelensky, he promised Ukrainian forces would defend the Donbass no matter how many Russian soldiers were sent by Putin. That's way over on the eastern side. Now, Mariupol is down on the Black Sea. So it looks that like, and still our military leaders, our people at the Pentagon, they're trying to figure out what his, what his game plan is. He's going, he went first around the top and around the west side of Ukraine. Then he came up from the bottom through the Black Sea, Mariupol's there. And now he's going after the eastern part of Ukraine. And they did kind of a, a show attack for some time at the capital, Kiev, which is in the north central of it. And they, they did a lot of damage. I mean, a lot of people were killed. A lot of Kiev was destroyed. But he's handpicking his targets now. And it's taking a lot of time. Why is that? Because they're having to pull back and reassess. Ukraine is a massive geographical country. It's the second largest geographic country in Europe. It takes a long time to move a bunch of military and military assets from one place in the country to another. You don't just hop in the car and run. You got to move a lot. All the infrastructure that goes along with the with the, a fight, a surge. And he's not going to quit, folks. He's not going to quit. He's not a quitter. A lot of people keep saying, oh, it's about time for him to throw in the towel. He's not one of those people. He does not do that. He's going to be there, and he is there for the long haul. And he's got the ability, at least for now, he's got the ability to um, to get it done. He has the staying power to get it done. And right now he has the money, but who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen? What do we have coming up in the show today? We're going to go around the world. We're going to deal with all the issues that are in your face. One of the biggest is the chaos at the southern border, and then the political craziness that continues to go on. Every day, something new comes into the minds, into the news. We all see it, hear it, and it's coordinated what we hear and when we're going to hear it. And it's just causing total chaos across the nation. I mean, you think about it. Do you realize our kids that were locked down basically, especially those in first and second and third and fourth grade, 
at those ages, they are so, their minds are sponges. They learn so much at school with interacting with other kids and having time, leisure time for recess and to go outside and get to know people and interact and just be kids. COVID-19 did not take that away from our kids. Our sycophant leaders that locked us down and locked us down needly, needlessly are the ones that are causing, they are the direct cause of what our children are dealing with now. We're hearing stories about kids attempting suicide. I mean, not one or two, but dozens and dozens, first and second graders. That doesn't happen in the real world. It happens because of the stress that others are putting on them. And the ones that are actually stressing those kids out, they don't know what they're doing. What they're doing is following orders of a group of bureaucrats that want to mass power, more power than the government has now, and build this nation into an atmosphere of where we look to the leaders in Washington, D.C. for everything, all our answers, all our resources, everything we need. They want to be the provider. That's what this push has been for decades for single-pay health care insurance. It's not because they can do it better. Folks, I'm in the health care business. May the 2nd, my company will be 30 years old, a health care company. We work with medical professionals, doctors all across this nation, hospitals, clinics, mom and pop doctor's offices, ambulance, emergency ambulance, ground and air. We've done that for 30 years. We're in the trenches with them. We have watched this progress from where it was, which was a real trust in health care and our health care providers. And now, for a lot of reasons, a multitude of reasons, our government and the way they treat health care, and then the insurance companies, they're supposedly the ones that are supposed to make sure that the financial end of health care is taken care of. Those are the people that we work with. Our company is a health care reimbursement management company. We help those health care providers get what is duly owed to them by law regarding the work that they do on patients. Sometimes that's getting compensation from the patients themselves. Most of the time, 99% of the time, it's fighting insurance companies to get unpaid. And there are always issues in that. But when there are issues and all the parties that are involved in them are willing to work together to find the answers and get resolution, you know what? Here in America, we do that. We're pretty darn good at doing that. But what happened over the last two years, the fake COVID pandemic, it wasn't a pandemic. We had a lot of sick people and a lot of people died, big portion of it needlessly. And by the way, the CDC has acknowledged that. We brought that story to you a couple of weeks ago. In fact, the COVID deaths, the numbers, the official causes of death that the COVID-19 doctors have all sent to the CDC, and they put it out there, they told us very quietly, nobody in mainstream media trumpeted it, but we had it here. The deaths with COVID-19 as the official cause of death 
were inflated maybe as much as 75%. Now, that doesn't negate that those people died. But COVID-19 wasn't the central cause of death. And as many as 75%. And what's that number? Well, you do the math. 600,000 approximately died from COVID. At least they are telling us that was the official cause of death. Take 75% of that all. People still died, folks. COVID is still a bad, bad virus. I'm not questioning that at all. But for the purpose of dumbing down our nation, putting collars around our necks, taking control, seeing how much of control of our personal lives we are willing to turn over to the government. And they did it, and America didn't flinch for two years. What did everybody in the South do? We said, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What did people in the North do? They said, okay. But the same thing happened in both regions. We turned into sheeple. We waited for somebody to get in front of us, tell us to come on, and we just walked right behind them. We believed and trusted what they were telling us. That's what's happening in America right now. And you throw all of the other horrors in our lives, like the mass criminality across the country, especially our big cities, law enforcement being dumbed down, being defunded, universities kicking people out because they wouldn't wear masks, they wouldn't be vaccinated against a virus, taking away our freedom to do what's best for us. My body, my choice, according to the bureaucracy in America today, I'm talking about media, I'm talking about educational, I'm talking about people just walking around America. The only thing my body, my choice applies to in their world is abortion. Anything else, it's, it, it belongs to us. We're the bureaucracy. We can tell you what to do. Freedom is being destroyed one little piece at a time. They're not hiding. They're putting it out in plain sight. And Americans are just saying benignly, okay, I get it. And then we wonder, we wonder why so much chaos took place in the 2020 election, the aftermath. And now we're finding out through court and court findings and court rendering of evidence that we couldn't get done in the immediate aftermath because the bureaucracy swooped in and stopped, stopped it. They created a scenario where anybody and everybody that questioned the results of that election were Donald Trump supporters, MAGA addicts. And so everybody was afraid to even open their mouth, even conservative mainstream media. And then we find out the election, the numbers that came out of Wisconsin were not just wrong. They were unbelievably wrong. Parts of Michigan, same thing. Parts of Pennsylvania, same thing. 
in Arizona, Maricopa County, which is Phoenix. You remember they had that massive, very highly contested audit that was done. When the audit results that came out, we got them the first day, it proved Maricopa County voted in large for Donald Trump. But the official tally that was sent to the governor, and he confirmed it, sent it to the Electoral College, Joe Biden won. And still, folks, nobody wants to question it publicly. You're going to be called a, a, a loon. You're crazy if you think something like that happened. And to pile horror on top of horror, everybody is watching. We've got a midterm election coming up in November. Is the same process going to be used from state to state? that was used in 2020? Are the election results going to be the real results of the voters or not? When you live in a world that's governed by people who are ungovernable, they're above being governed. They are in leadership at different levels at the top of local, state, and federal governments. And they're the ones that hold the keys. They unilaterally have the keys to make these decisions. Who do you trust? And you know why we are where we are today in this? Because we the people let it happen. We the people that own this government, that own this nation, do you realize that? By United States Constitution, our government has no say-so in anything unless we expressly give it to them. And the Constitution is the skeleton that lays out all of those things that we the people have told the government, here's what you do. But in all of that, you still answer to us. We don't answer to you. We've allowed the balance of power to turn over the last 25 or 30 years from the we the people to them, the government. And people laugh at Rand Paul from Kentucky, a senator. He constantly reminds us we need to be careful what we allow the government to do, what of our freedoms we allow them to take over. And once they take it over, once we give it to them, and most of it's not happening through the legislative process. It happens through an uh, administrative fiat, an executive order that comes out of the White House. Sometimes it's not even an executive order, an agency that steps up and they take power like they own it, and they just make a rule and shove it out, and we all say, "Oh, oh, oh, okay, then we have to do it. We don't have to. There's so many things that happened during COVID world that the people that made these decisions and told us you got to do this, you can't do that, they didn't have the authority to do it. And the courts are coming back now. Sadly, two and a half years later, 600,000 people died. About three quarters of those didn't need to die. But because of bureaucracy and red tape and bad information, they died. But the radioactive fallout of COVID-19, we've not even come close to seeing what that is. 
it's going to roll over. People's lives that are alive today have been altered forever. Millions are not and will never be the same because we the people gave up control of our government to them, the government. Let me give you an example of it. You know who Trey Gowdy is. Trey Gowdy from South Carolina. He was a federal prosecutor. And uh, he's a lawyer, obviously. He ran for the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives. He was there. He was one of the mainstays. mainstays. And I'm not sure even how many two-year terms he served. I don't know what it is now. But he was a great voice. And he is a stickler for the truth. We're taking our first break now. On the other side of it, Trey Gowdy is going to give you a summation of exactly what I was just talking about and where we are as a nation. And folks, on the landscape of what's in front of us, what's before us right now, we're not in a really good place. Trey Gowdy, right after this. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. You remember that song? Papa was a Rolling Stone. That was a great time. That was the kind of thing you heard in a, you know, late 60s, early 70s movie soundtrack, wasn't it? Things in the United States, arguably, are as bad as they've been in most of our lifetimes. My lifetime, for sure. And it's like, it's something that you just can't put your arms around it. You see it, you can't recognize it. It's almost like this evil that hides in the shadows. And every once in a while, you see a a shadow of that shadow that appears 
and says something or does something really sinister. Trey Gowdy, he actually grew up professionally in that world. He was one of the best prosecutors in the state of South Carolina. He's very, very committed to the truth, even when the truth doesn't pretend good for him. And I was sad when he and his fellow buddy, when they both left Congress and decided to go back into the private world, Trey Gowdy, and I just went blank. Who's his buddy? Both of them do work on Fox News now. Anyway, um, they were great mainstays at keeping our focus on the things that we really need to focus the important things, like democracy. Let me let Trey Gowdy point out and illustrate to you exactly what we're facing now across the nation in every sector of our lives. I've heard many ridiculous things in my life, but I can't think of anything more nonsensical than arguing that democracy will spell the end of democracy. So let's try to analyze what we just heard without committing ourselves to a psychiatric hospital. One liberal said, you put McCarthy back in, democracy is over. Kevin McCarthy is a husband and a father. He worked his way through school, small business owner, staffer for a member of Congress, then a California state legislator, and now a member of Congress. How did he get to be a member of Congress? Could it be that he was elected? as in elected by the people of California? And wouldn't that be sort of like democracy? And to become the Speaker of the House, your party must be in the majority. And that too would be sort of like democracy. There would be no Speaker McCarthy if not for democracy. So this liberal TV personality is literally arguing that democracy is the end of democracy. Ted Lieu says democracy is on the ballot. That's profound. Uh, Ballots, November, gosh, that sounds a lot like an election. Elections are when the people get to speak. That's sort of textbook democracy. So it's always on the ballot because it's the reason there is a ballot. And Ted Lieu and Kevin McCarthy come from the same state. So how can one election be democracy at work and the other not be? And then there's George Stephanopoulos, who was the campaign manager for Bill Clinton. Clinton won the White House with less than 50% of the popular vote, but that's still democracy. Donald Trump won 30 states in 2016. Hillary Clinton won 20. Trump won the Electoral College. That's the way our system works. In 2020, Trump won about half the states, but he lost the Electoral College. That's still the way our system works. If he runs in 2024 and wins the Electoral College, he will be president again because that's the way our system works. To the prophets of doom on the left, how can it be the end of democracy when a Republican wins, but democracy at work when a Democrat wins? Either you believe in our system or you do not. Either you trust the people or you do not. Either you believe in self-governance or you only believe in it when you like the way it turns out. There are threats to our democracy which abound. Democracies don't typically last, and we are wise to evaluate the strength of ours. But the biggest threat to our democracy is when you stop believing in it. 
The biggest threat is relativism. It's this notion that when I prevail, it's legitimate, but when the other side prevails, it's fraudulent. Politicians in both parties have embraced this dangerous practice of claiming they cannot lose. You've heard both Republicans and Democrats claim they cannot lose an election. The only way I can lose is if it's stolen. The only way I can lose is if the other side cheats. That's a threat to democracy. The people decide who wins and who loses, not the candidates. Abraham Lincoln lost. If Lincoln can lose, so can you. Ronald Reagan lost. If Ron Reagan can lose, so can you. For that matter, we just celebrated Easter, and part of that story is the crowd choosing Barabbas over Jesus. If the Son of God can lose a voice vote to a notorious criminal, you can lose too. The irony of liberal politicians and commentators musing about the end of democracy. These are some of the same folks who wanted to impeach a president on a straight party line vote. These are some of the same folks who wanted a parliamentarian to allow them to achieve through Senate rules what they could not achieve at the ballot box. These are some of the same folks who belittle that half of the country who have a different view on the size and scope of government. These are some of the same people who are okay with Kamala Harris being the third senator from California, but God forbid Joe Manchin act like a senator from West Virginia. One liberal magazine accused Manchin of bailing out on saving democracy. Joe Manchin represents a state where Joe Biden and Kamala Harris did not win a single solitary county, not one. So how can it be the death of democracy for Joe Manchin to represent the views of those who elected him? Because that kind of sounds exactly like democracy to me, not the death of it. There are threats to our form of government, both internal and external. It's the internal ones that should worry us the most. The ones who claim only I can win. The ones who claim if I lose, democracy is over. Democracy will never be the end of democracy. Refusing to accept the results of an election? Maybe. Relativism? Maybe. Fear? Maybe. But literally half the country because they disagree with you? Maybe. Disrespecting the rule of law? Maybe. Politicians in a media we no longer trust? Maybe. But I can assure you democracy will never be the end of democracy. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. Fox News gets a, a free advertisement there. Exactly the truth from Trey Gowdy. He painted the picture. Uh, let, me, let me just illustrate what he's talking about is giving up, either consciously or unconsciously, we're giving up our ability to determine democratically who leads our nation and what policies are input in our nation. We the people. We're allowing we the people and other people like us just to sit down and do nothing when democracy is being pulled apart by people that were sent to Washington, D.C. to represent us, not them, 
not their particular ideas about anything that are skewed by so many distractions, so many opportunities, so many chances to do things that may be good for them at the moment, but for the rest of us, not so good. And we can sit here and just number one after another, bam, 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 bam. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We, the people, let those who counted the votes in November of 2020 in that election, the people who set up the scam across the nation to flood individual precincts with fake ballots, mail-in ballots, without anybody that produced that having a legislative authority to do it at all, they changed the laws in their states without having the legal right to do that. The Constitution very plainly says that state governments, the legislators in state governments, are the ones that craft all election laws. Not secretaries of state, not governors. Constitutionally, None of these states that implemented these massive mail-in ballots that their state legislatures didn't approve, none of those had the legal authority to do that. And we're crazy because we want to hold them accountable for their wrongdoing under the laws in the Constitution and in their states. We are watching as democracy is trampled to death. We, the people, must stand up. Say what you will about Donald Trump. He may not run, and even if he runs again, he may not get elected. But he opened the eyes of tens of millions of us to what was coming down the pike. Think back about the ridiculous things that he used to claim. And we're still finding out every few days. He knew what he was talking about. Say what you will about Donald Trump. He was a good businessman. Oh, but, you know, this casino failed and this business did that. How does a guy get to be a billionaire if he doesn't win more than he loses? He makes more bad choices than good choices. You don't become a billionaire if you do that. I would challenge you to go back, and you can do it on YouTube, go back and in the search bar, put Donald Trump and put what year. He was president for four years. Do five years. Donald Trump regarding political matters. Put that in your search bar and put a year number. And go watch some of those in each year. Listen to the things that he said. Look at the things that he promised in his campaign he was going to do for the American people if we elected him. And then look at the tally of the things he promised. Every single one of them he promised to do for us, he did. If he was able to do it on his own authority. The only ones that he missed on were those where Congress wouldn't come in and join him. That's the only president in my lifetime that can say He did everything that he promised he was going to do. At least the stuff that he legally could do. We pick people 
because of what they say they're going to do. We re-elect people if they did what they told us they were going to do. Otherwise, we vote them out of office. Let me challenge you to do one thing. I just thought about this. Find out the structure of the counting system of the votes in your state. Contact your Secretary of State office. Find out what voting machines they're using. Find out who is processing the vote tallies. And are they being processed locally? Are they being sent off somewhere via the internet to be processed somewhere else? We found out, credibly, you all did, that in a multitude of states, all the vote tallies from the machines, the electoral uh, machines out in the various districts around each state, these states, were sent for some reason to Europe where they were counted and then results sent back. Is that still happening? Is it going to happen in the midterm election in your state? That's an easy question to ask. Get an answer and let us know what you're told. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. If you were with us yesterday, a guy named Peter called from California, and we talked about some of this stuff. Later, I got a phone call from him, and we talked about something that I think is very interesting that I want to share with you. I think Peter probably is listening this morning. Peter, what we talked about afterwards, not on the air yesterday, I want to talk about it live on the air today with you. Give us a call, toll-free, 866-37-TRUTH. 866-378-7884. When we come back, if Peter's with us, we'll launch into that. You don't want to miss it. But also, if he's not there, we've got some interesting perspective on our nation's debt and your debt and college tuition debt. Do you have kids that you have outstanding education loans that you're obligated to pay for. You know, Joe Biden's talking about freeing up some of that debt obligation. There's a lot of issues about that. It's not just waving a wand and erasing your debt. That can't happen. Debt's going to be there. Somebody's got to pay your debt. Is it going to be you paying for somebody else after you've already paid your kid's debt? All that up here at TNN. Your daily dose of the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. Yeah. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. 
Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step -step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Truth. Justice. The TNN way. This is TNN. The Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. So many things out there, huh? So many things that uh, we need some answers on. We really do. And uh, more and more we're finding out we don't have, uh, we're not hooked up to the right places. Let's see. Is this Peter? Hang on just a second, Peter. I've, uh, I'm not getting you. Let me do a little manipulation. Here, let's go over here. Are you there? Peter. I am here. Okay, great. Got Peter on the phone from California. Um, I don't know if you were listening a few minutes ago, but we talked about what you and I talked about after the show yesterday about uh -huh. Elon Musk and about what's going right. on in his buyback. You've got a great idea. Give us, just give us the summary of what you're suggesting that we should consider doing. Well, okay, sure. We're looking at um, this, you know, force, it looks like a force of nature with the media censoring everything that we set out to do. And, uh, you know, it starts with Twitter, Facebook, Google, um, you know, they can censor the president if they like. And there's huge numbers of people around the world that are affected by it and fed up with it. And I think it would be the perfect move if all of the patriots and not necessarily American patriots just picked up their laptop or their phone and purchased one share of Twitter and pledged that to an attorney representing an individual or an entity in this case with Twitter, Elon Musk, so that the public around the world could take over Twitter and hand the keys to Elon Musk. Now that is a novel idea. Have you, have, I, I'm sure you have, you've thought through some of the roadblocks, some of the issues that trying to do something that might, might have. Is it as simple as picking up the phone and uh, maybe you don't even have to call anybody? Go online to one of the um, stockbroker websites and <clears throat> just buy a share of Twitter? Is just, it that yeah, simple? It's that simple. And, of course, the uh, individual that you would be uh, pledging the uh, uh, authority over that share to would need to somehow be involved with a law firm who could take those shares into – uh, trust and then apply the voting power of those shares to the individual that's named. So if, for example, uh, Elon Musk got on the, the Joe Rogan show or even your show and announced to the audience, this is what my law firm is. If you purchase one share <clears throat> and you can purchase more, but just one share, we can take over Twitter and there's nothing they can do about it. So did you do any research yet to find out how many shares there are and what it would take to give Elon Musk that power? I know he already owns a chunk of them. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's probably about 30% before he's got the uh, voting power. 
to make a difference. But the the you know firms like BlackRock and Vanguard hold a certain number of Twitter shares, but there's never in history, as far as I know, been a stock that they ran out of because people bought it all. It's <laughs> if you buy it, you turn around and you sell it for a premium. Sure. So if if the share price went up to $150, if you're talking about the global population, it doesn't really matter. It's a great investment in uh, removing the censorship from all the major media outlets. And what's really exciting is it can kind of un- unite people around the world <laughs> that feel the same way, that don't want to be censored. And after Twitter, maybe they can look at Google. Maybe they can look at Facebook. But if the public at large can impress the corporate boardroom to act responsibly or will take the keys away from you, what a magnificent thing that would be. I know you've put a lot of thought in it since we talked about it yesterday. Uh, what would be the next step at this point? We're still looking for information. Um, there are well, probably a lot of moving parts that you and I don't know about. What should we do? Should we contact legal representation? What do you think? Yeah, I've actually got a, an attorney, a securities attorney, calling me back today, uh, an old friend. And I'll mention it to him. He's, um, I'm certainly going to be engaged in the idea. But um, if someone could reach out to Elon Musk and say, hey, listen, here's a great idea. Let the public, the global public, purchase Twitter for you and hand you the keys. You do this. You meet, mm-hmm. you meet and discuss with your security attorney friend today. And yes. uh, let's get back today, either later today, tonight, or on the show live again tomorrow morning. And okay, let's, terrific. If, if this is practical, I mean, we've got a pretty wide voice here uh, yeah. in, in other nations too. And obviously people in Australia and New Zealand and all across Europe, I'm sure they would be interested in buying a share of Twitter and they would always maintain possession, not possession, but the stock, the share of stock would be theirs. It would just be being held in trust and they would give their vote, assign their vote to Elon Musk. That's right. Okay. And they could, it could be, you know, for any company, any appointee, but what's very interesting is, the global population has been frustrated by censorship. Um, you know, Twitter just if it if it's not in their best interest, it's not. In, they're not measuring public interest. They're not uh, imagining uh, certainly protecting the protection of uh, children, for example. Right. Um, but if it's contrary to their, um, you know, dialogue or their instructions, for that matter they will censor the information. They're censoring the leading doctors and scientists with data about not only COVID, but about the vaccines. Right. They're just eliminating them. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. Yeah. But if the public wants to stand up, this would be a great opportunity. The The, the price of Twitter doesn't matter. It'll matter to the people that are selling the shares, obviously, but if the individuals around the world paid $150 a share, which is, you know, three times uh, what Elon Musk was offering, um, it would certainly send a powerful message to everybody. Absolutely. Well, 
Why don't you do that? I'm going to open the door to get into and to Elon Musk. I'm going to do it through a friend in the attorney general's office in Texas that worked okay. very, very, very closely with Elon Musk when he moved uh, Tesla or most of Tesla to South right. Texas. So why don't you get back to me later today when you reach and have a conversation with this securities attorney and I'm going to put the hard press on the attorney general's office in Texas to open the door to Elon Musk. Wouldn't it be neat if he'd come on the air and let us talk to him and tell him what our concept is and see if he would support it? He obviously has a much bigger megaphone than do we. If he wants to do this, he can make it happen, and we would just facilitate it by being maybe a clearinghouse for part of it. It doesn't matter. I don't want any glory. I know you don't either. We just want to Mm -hmm. find a way to express ourselves in social media without having some hardcore leftist say that what we're saying isn't the right or isn't the true things that uh, we're talking about and, and just censoring us. We don't want that. That doesn't fit their narrative. Absolutely. All right, Peter. Well, listen, thanks for calling in. I'm excited about this. Let's touch base later today and see if we can come up with a plan to make this this thing happen. Terrific. I'll look forward to it. All right. You know what? Unless we get involved in it, no matter what it is, we can't expect everything to happen because somebody else is going to do it. I don't know if your mom or dad ever said this to you, but mine both said it to me all the time. Anything worth doing is doing it right. (laughs) if it's not worth doing, don't even bother to do it. You'll mess it up. I think going, if this is something that's going to fly, going to the top to even get the guy to even consider it, I think that's a pretty darn good idea, don't you? Maybe it'll work. I don't know, but uh, we're just going to unpeel it, the onion, one layer at a time. So I'm going to reach out and try to get in touch with Elon Musk whoever his people are. And Peter's going to get together with this securities attorney to find out the legal ramifications and how this could be done safely. Obviously, it sounds really simple. You go buy one share of the stock of Twitter and you sit on it until if and when this attorney comes up with a plan where we can centralize uh, and, and put releases and authorization things, documents together that would be sent to us to sign that would give Elon Musk our voting authority over our one share of stock. And if you get a few million of those, which I think we could probably do, if he's in it with us, I think we could do it and do it pretty quickly. We can make a difference. We can make a real difference. That's an interesting idea, is it? Well, I told you, We were going to talk to uh, some folks about Joe Biden forgiving college debt, which I don't think he has the legal authority to do. We're going to do that after this break. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&Ms. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding (laughs) M&Ms. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold.
as the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342. 529-8342. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Just a thought. What do you think about what Peter had to say about a suggestion? If you want to chat about it, got any ideas or thoughts, feel free to give us a call. Toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-37-7884. I know you've heard about the president and uh, getting, getting close to these midterms, and he's upside down in his uh, popular position with the American people. Probably he's more upside down than any president that I know of in my lifetime. Uh, He's in the 30% range approval ratings, which is egregious, horrible. And he has got to find a way to help Democrats across the nation in these midterm elections, or Joe will have absolutely no power come January 20th next year if the Congress is taken over by Republicans, which it's likely that's going to happen. For sure, almost, is the House of Representatives. The Senate, I don't know. We're right on the right on the line. It's not going to be a massive uh, majority in the Senate if the Republicans win control of it. But just getting one more than halfway, you know, 51 or 52 Republicans in the Senate, we could get a whole lot done riding the ship, just doing that. So what Joe Biden's doing, he's out there giving away more money. I mean, he's trying to buy votes, buying support. And who's not going to be interested to think about getting free money? And what he's talking about is not passing out money, but forgiving student debt. Student debt. So last night, there was a conversation between several people that have had student debt and some different perspectives about it. Listen to this analysis. What impact will this have on young people still paying off their loans? We thought we'd uh, ask Kat Tenth. We thought we'd ask Mike Gunzelman, two big stars here at Fox. Um, Kat, to you first. Uh, I don't want to get personal with you on student loans and all of that, but a lot are about to be forgiven. Do you want in on this gravy train? Well, I would have liked in on it years ago, 
uh, when I had student loans and also when I made the decision to not go to Columbia Journalism School because I did not want to take out that kind of loan where I knew I wouldn't be able to pay back $80,000 on an entry-level journalism salary. <laughs> I think the problem Well, you with were wrong. The, You're a big star now. You could have easily done it. I, I did uh, internships, and I waitressed, and I did it all that way because I didn't have that money, and I made that decision. I think that's a conversation we need to be having with more young people, that it's not always worth it to take out this massive amount. There are other ways to do it. Um, and the problem with the word forgiveness or cancellation is it's not really accurate. Someone else is just paying for it other than the person who took it out. Yeah, young people like yourselves, actually, down the road, whether you take advantage of it or not. Um, and guns, what do you think about the all this? Well, Neil, this might surprise you, but I loved college. All right, I had an absolute blast of I, I want to do the Fox alert here. I don't know if we can get it so fast, but it goes something like this. I, All right, continue. I had so much fun. There it is. Great job. But student loans are the worst. Student loans stink. I mean, you're coming out of college and you're already behind everybody else in the race because you have to pay up for it. You're talking 15 years. I just paid off all my student loans from Fordham. And, you know, I worked two jobs plus just well, to, are you just angry to get then, through that. That now a lot of people might have gone to class with you. They yeah. might get a pass on this. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. And I understand, listen, I, I was struggling before I came on to think, is the intention here even noble? Is it good? And sure, like, I would like to help out people that need assistance or help to get to college. But it's the system itself that is broken. If you want to overhaul the whole higher education system, good luck. But this ain't it. This is not the solution. It, listen, I understand people like, oh, it's not fair. I have to pay back student loans. Well, guess what? It's not fair that I now, who already did that, might have to pay more down the line because of you. And that's the argument that we're going to see right now. I sense a lot of anger coming from you, Guns. Um, <laughs> so, Kat, the other issue here is, you know, I, I, it, it feeds the beast, doesn't it? If you forgive student loan debt and you, you encourage more lending, uh, you know, uh, the, the cost of the product you're getting the lending for goes up. We've seen tuition, room and board across, you know, America. Triple exactly. the inflation rate. Now, I don't know if it's triple the present inflation rate, but... It only makes colleges more expensive, doesn't it? Exactly. As the government has gotten more involved in higher education, we've seen the prices of it skyrocket. And then the idea of, okay, let's get even more involved, not sure that's going to do any good. Uh, the you know pumping more and more money into the economy method hasn't been working out in terms of inflation, as you pointed out. Uh, this needs to be fixed, and it's not going to be a little small Band-Aid like this. Um, and what you're paying for college now, too, versus what you get, the cost-benefit just isn't there. The problem is that's kind of unspoken that we can't have that conversation, that any amount of money you take out in a loan to further your education is always a good idea, and that's not always a good idea. It can be better to work along the way, go to a cheaper school, get some internships and those sorts of things, rather than be saddled for this, with this kind of debt for decades without being able to pay it off. Yeah, and I can see if you have a path to Wall Street guns versus, you know, working in, a, uh, I don't know, journalism. Uh, it, it, it depends on the journalism you're practicing. But my, my point is, aren't people going to look at this going forward and think, sure, I'll take out a loan because I have no intention of ever paying for it? 
Exactly. They're setting the bar to fail right now. And I truly believe this is a political play. Nobody cares about COVID right now. The environment, sure, until gas prices are five, six, seven dollars. Student loans and this canceling a debt is going to be a big political play. Even I talked to a couple of my Democratic friends that, uh, you know, campaigned to on this issue and supported candidates that were really for this and just wiping it all out. They're, they're right now angry themselves at the Democrats for not giving for not uh, following through on their promise. So I think that as we get closer to the election uh, season, keep an eye out on this because they're desperate for that youth vote. And what better way to do it than say, hey, all your loans and debt is gone. It's, it's going to happen. Definitely. Yeah, I think younger people are much smarter than that. I don't I'd like Hopefully. to think they are. Yeah, I'm talking to two, two right now. Um, guys, thank you both very, very much. I do appreciate it. Interesting perspectives there on the cancellation of student debt. I mean, you know, if you're a kid or if you're a parent and you signed off on 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, $100,000 of school debt for your kid to get a good education, I mean, that sounds good. I don't care what they choose to forgive the debt on. If it's a percentage, if it's a, a different payout, if they reduce this, if they reduce that, yeah, you're going to be interested in it. But folks, where's that money going to get paid? It's not just going to be forgiven. Yes, the federal government under Barack Obama took over all the student loan debt. He took it away from the private sector. What does that mean? It means student debt is not being managed now because the federal government owns it all. They can't manage anything. They have hundreds of thousands of employees in our federal government and all the agencies out there. Not a single one of them functions mechanically nearly as would as it could and as it would if it was being done in the private sector. Because in the private sector, what's the driving force? Make some profit. Whatever comes in, just make sure that you're spending a little bit less than that at least to make it come in. Therefore, nobody has to go to the wallet to pay for what doesn't come in to cover the debt that's out there. The federal government doesn't work that way. Example, in the healthcare industry, you've got two kinds of hospitals. You have for-profit and not-for-profit. Now, doesn't it sound realistic to you? It just makes, it sounds good if you're a not-for-profit hospital. That makes people feel like, great, I can go there and I don't have to worry about them cutting corners so they can make a dime. They don't want to deal with those for-profit evil hospitals that are out there making money for stockholders, the filthy rich in America. That whole mantra has been beaten into our heads for years and years and years. I can tell you this, again, from working inside this whole process, this medical bureaucracy for 30 years now, next month, 30 years, I can tell you, the for-profit institutions around the nation, especially, I'm talking about hospitals, the for-profit hospitals do better healthcare work than do the not-for-profits. Now, in both cases, for-profit or not-for-profit, I'm not saying that blanket across the board because I work with medical institutions that are not-for-profit that are amazing. They work with their local people. 
They have great structure. They have great medical procedures. And they're friendly. I'll give you an example. In one city, I'm not going to name the city, the main hospitals there are known for having horrible customer service. I went to one of the hospitals in this system once with a good friend of mine, and he told me this when we got out of the car and walked in. He said, watch what happens. We're going to walk in the front door at that particular facility. When you walk in, there's instantly an escalator that goes up one level, one floor, and sitting beside it is a receptionist on one side and somebody that does something on the other side in the desk. And as we walked towards them, they had to look right at us. When we stepped on the escalator, we were no more than six feet away from either one of them. Both of them didn't say a word, just looked down like they were busy doing something else when we came in. And from that point forward, that type of customer service just was all through the facility. That's just one example. That is a not-for-profit institution. It's part of one. And I found out the hard way by being a patient that that philosophy pretty well transcends the entire facility with the people that work there. My son works in Dallas. He's an executive chef for a large hospital there that is part of a chain that hospital is, and it's a for-profit hospital. It is uncanny how that hospital is into patient and patient family customer service. The facilities themselves that are earmarked for patients and for families, little things like the beds, the type of beds, the bedding, the way the rooms look. And here's a big thing. If you're a patient in that hospital or if you're a family member of a patient in that hospital, there's a menu laying on the table there every day that changes every day, and you pick what you're going to eat off that menu. They cook it for you. They bring it upstairs for you. Real customer service. That's a for-profit hospital, part of a chain. It's a very, very profitable hospital, but they invest In everything that they do, they provide to the people in their communities. They invest. They consider all the money that they do this stuff with brings them more business. That philosophy, if it was in our federal government, if service was the most important thing for anything and everything, our government would be in way better shape, perceptionally at least, among the people if that was the case. Just throwing that out there for you, and that has very little to do with student debt. But I'm telling you, it's all intertwined. And the fact that our president is actually considering making you and I pay for more of his stupid spending than we already are, I don't know what I'll do. I'd say I'd pull my hair out, but I don't have any hair. And speaking of those midterms, it's not, a, it's not a very good picture for Democrats. And it's going to get worse. Everybody's been hoping, fingers crossed, that Joe Biden is not going to rescind Title 42 next month on the 23rd. Title 42 is that rule that forces any illegal immigrants to come into the nation under the circumstances that we're in now 
to log in at our border, register, get all the documents and stuff there. Then you go back, you're transported back across the border into Mexico where the Mexican government hosts you until your court hearing for your asylum claim comes up. Then they'll bring you back across the border to go get your rendering in court. But you stay in Mexico until that happens. Title 42 is the rule that makes that happen. Biden, when he became president, he canceled it. And then it went to the court systems, and the Supreme Court said, nobody, remain in Mexico is good for the American people. It protects the American people from intruders. You must honor that rule. You don't have the authority to overturn it. The Supreme Court told him that. And you know what he basically did? He called Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and said, keep letting them in. Thumb your nose nose at Title 42. Rumors were that he was getting, Biden was getting so much flack from the American people about rescinding it. People at every ilk, very wealthy people, Democrats, Republicans, powerful people in Congress, don't cancel Title 42. Rumors until this morning were he's not going to cancel it. Jen Psaki said we have no plans to, to stop the plan to rescind Title 42. That was yesterday. So we don't know what he's going to do. So in the meantime, all this crazy illegal immigration, these people flooding our southern border, flooding our cities and towns, across the nation. We had one example, a big one in in Michigan yesterday, where a treasure trove, if you want it, it, it's fentanyl, it's illegal, but it's expensive. A treasure trove of it was caught, found, it came all the way from the southern border with a bunch of illegals taking it up there to be sold to people in the upper Midwest. So the illegal immigration problem is not just at our southern border. It's in every city around the nation. It's going to be a tough go in this midterm for Democrats. I can tell you that. Pollsters say that ending Title 42, ending the Title 42 expulsions along the Mexican border, it's a big problem, another big problem for Democrats that are trying to hold on to their narrow majorities in the House and the Senate. Larry Sabato, who we've had him on the show before, director of the University of Virginia Center for Politics. Larry said, Democrats are in a bad shape. Some would say terrible shape for midterms. The Title 42 controversy does nothing to help them. Probably makes the outlook worse for Democrats. The dead giveaway is that moderate and endangered Democrats in Congress are raising hell and defecting from the Biden administration's plans. So it began with just, uh, you know, a few moderates, moderate Democrats. But now it's building into a choir of dissent, of frontline Democrats who say to the Biden administration, don't rescind Title 42 as you announced you were going to do for May 23rd. Don't do it until there's a effective and widely known and approved plan to deal with the massive surge that is going to happen. It's already begun at the border. 
The CDC recently announced that Title 42 expulsions are going to end May 23rd because the public health order is no longer necessary. Now, here's the thing that nauseates me. It doesn't nauseate me. It hacks me off about that. The CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there's nothing in the structure of that entity, nowhere in its formal written structure, the legislation that created and runs the CDC, nothing is in there that gives the CDC any permission, any authority whatsoever to make a determination on a matter like this. They said, when they, when they said what they said, they're saying we have the authority to make it stick and stay in, in the atmosphere. It's going to happen until we say it can stop. They can't do that. Of course, the progressive left, they lauded the move. Moderates and vulnerable members in the House and the Senate facing down an already tough midterm landscape with this crazy inflation, Biden's low approval ratings, what are they going to do? A worsening border crisis, and that's what's going to happen if Title 42 goes away. It would only issue more pain to them. One anonymous individual didn't want to didn't want to go on record, but has a lot of knowledge of internal discussions, said the White House is mulling whether to continue with the repeal of this next month and blowback for members of Biden's own party. It puts them in a very tricky spot. Moderate Dems and the progressive Dems are arguing right now over the best kind of midterm election strategy. Progressives say we should go big, even if that means we don't succeed. And we should try to deliver on what we promised our voters. And the moderates are obviously not saying that. This is a policy disagreement between two wings of the Democrat Party. And it's a very significant one. I don't think anybody can truthfully and honestly argue that. The growing numbers of Democrat senators breaking with the White House shows how clearly concerned they are about voter reaction. Survey data on this specific aspect of the immigration issues is limited right now, but what is out there shows independence, which is probably the group that determines outcomes in every national election. They oppose ending Title 42 by a 20-point margin. Inflation, of course, is the biggest issue facing Dems. Title 42 is just one more problem for Biden and his party, that's going in the wrong direction. Democrats have joined with Republicans in crying hypocrisy at the White House, questioning why Biden is asking for Congress to give billions more in COVID relief to address the ongoing pandemic while COVID is apparently no longer a concern down at the border. And I mean, those people came in, we didn't test them. Border Patrol didn't test them for COVID. Yeah, they handed them a mask to wear while they were going through processing. But how many COVID-positive patients were just let in the nation? And they may be in your town. And it's not just COVID. We don't know what other diseases they have. They don't have inoculation system like we have here for kids to get inoculated against all those diseases when they're, when they're little. 
these immigrants are bringing in disease. So what does it look like? In the Senate, Democrat Senators Mark Kelly of Arizona, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, John Tester of Montana, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Maggie Hassan of New, Ma- New Hampshire have already introduced legislation to extend Title 42 by two more months and require the Biden administration to give us a plan, give Congress a plan on how it's going to address the surge of migrants in the U.S. Mexico border. That is going to happen. In the House, Henry Cuellar, he's a representative from Texas. Jared Golden of Maine, Stephanie Murphy of Florida, Greg Stanton of Arizona, Chris Pappas of New Hampshire, Tom O'Halloran of Arizona. They also have introduced the same type of legislation. Keep it in place, they say. Senate candidates, uh, senator candidates in Pennsylvania, Democrats, North Carolina, Ohio, Florida, Wisconsin, they are all walking away from Biden's border policy. Even Senator Gary Peters, he chairs the Senate Homeland Security Committee, as well as the Democrat Senatorial Campaign Committee. He said Senate Democrat candidates are right to raise questions about this. Unless we have a well-thought-out plan, he said, I think it's something that should be revisited and perhaps delayed. Neil Newhouse is co-founder of Public Opinion Strategies. They do polling for Republicans. They see an opening here for the Republican Party to make more inroads with Latino-Hispanic voters. So much, in fact, he's conducting focus groups on immigration issues next week. We've all heard, we've been watching the support for um, getting rid of COVID-19 restrictions and, of course, shoring up our southern border. It's the number one most important thing for Latino Hispanic voters. And the swing has gone quickly and remarkably towards the Republican side as being favored. Does anybody wonder why? Democrats have got some more bad news now. Two major election raiders have shifted their projected outcomes of the midterm races for House for the House of Representatives towards the Republican Party, and yet another signal the GOP is favored to retake control in November. Larry Sabato's crystal ball updated 11 races yesterday, all becoming friendlier towards the GOP. Big shifts occurred in districts that were previously considered safer for Democrats, like Nevada Representative Susie Lee's 3rd Congressional District, as well as those previously thought to be competitive for Republicans, like Texas Representative Tony Gonzalez's 23rd District. Our main question about the House continues to be not whether Republicans will flip it, although we would not completely shut the door on Democrats retaining control if the political environment improves markedly, but rather how big Republicans' majority is going to be. That comes from Kyle Kondik, managing editor of election forecaster Sabato's Crystal Ball. Cook Political Report, CPR, that's what they abbreviate and say, they made eight races more favorable to Republicans, three Democrat incumbents, Representative Abigail Spanberger of Virginia's 7th District, 
had their races shifted from lean Democrat to toss-up. Overall, 27 seats held by Democrats considered to be toss-up or worse, while only 12 seats held by Republicans are labeled the same. Biden's approval rating remains stuck at 42%. It's lower than 40 in a couple of other polls. If anything, the political environment has deteriorated for Democrats in January as inflation concerns have soared and Build Back Better has stalled. That means no Democrat in a single-digit Biden district is secure, and even some seats Biden carried by double-digit margins in 2020 could come into play this fall, giving the GOP surprising reach opportunities. The shifts in the numbers, that's the latest bit of bad news for Democrats. Originally projected the party to net four to five seats from just redistricting alone, but decreased its prediction in March to only one or two after court cases affected congressional maps in Ohio and Maryland. So here we are. We're smack dab in the middle of April. So we've got May, June, July, August, September, October. Seven months from now, actually will be a week out from the midterm elections. And once again, folks, there are so many moving parts, so many unknowns, so many different things out there that we need to consider, that we got to get our arms around. We just don't know. And we have no leadership from the White House. Everything you can think of, everything you can think of is up in the air. Now, remember what it was like four years ago. What were the big questions four years ago? Let me tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to go to a break here. I just asked you a question. Uh, I'm going to go back and look at, uh, during the break, I'm going to look at some of the stories that we published mid-April. Four years ago would be, this is 2020, it would be 2018. Donald Trump was president. Let's see if we can come up with any magic. We'll do that next. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bacon with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion supply, limited time offer. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President Sorry. of the United States. Sorry, let me just get this. Hello. Hey. I was just thinking about you. Yes, I was. Uh-huh. Yes, I was. No, you were. That I will faithfully execute the office of President. <laughs> so, uh... What are you wearing? A president uh, of the United uh, States. <laughs> oh. Say, can I call you back? So help me God. No, so you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you. You hang up. So help me God. You hang up. It's President's Day, and everybody's getting in on the special offer from Verizon Wireless. For just $25 per month, get 1,500 anytime minutes, plus free long distance. Verizon Wireless. Join in. 
When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. So I went back and I I, um, I didn't go into, I couldn't do a big complete search going into all the uh, the stories that were published at truthnewsnet.org during 2018, but several titles popped up. How many 2018 worldwide abortions occurred? Democrat National Committee platform for 2018 midterms. What's in it? You want to look at that for a second? Let's do that. DNC platform for 2018 midterms. What's in it? What's in the DNC 2018 midterm message to voters? Here's what it says. The message to Americans is simple. Dump Trump. Never in my lifetime have I seen so much animus for a president. Substance of any of his accomplishments is left in the other room when there are political discussions among Democrats. We see nonstop venom spewed by almost every Democrat win the world of entertainment, professional sports, the media, political class at local, state, and national levels, all echoed overseas by socialist heads of several foreign governments. The reason for this nonstop vitriol from Democrats is certain and obvious. They still have not recovered from middle Americans sending the message in November of 2016 that Democrats no longer represent the ideals that middle-class Americans still embrace, even though Democrats for generations wore that badge of being the political party of average Americans. The best way I can illustrate this destructive slide by Dems into purely negative messaging is by telling a story. And I'm giving you this story because this is one that you're probably going to repeat. I'm from South Louisiana, where crabbing is an art. If you've never been crabbing, you probably have no idea how this applies to a political messaging story, but in this case, they're the same. Here's how it works. A crab trap is a wire box with six sides and a hole in the end. To crab, one drops bait through that hole. Chicken necks or some other type of raw meat works best. Then you put the crab trap down in the water below the surface several feet, and you wait. After a while, you take that crab track out of the water, set it on the ground or in your boat if you're off the southern coast of Louisiana. If your crabbing attempt is successful, there are going to be several crabs that crawled into that trap through the hole on top to get a fine chicken meal. But listen to this. If you set that crab trap there and watch it long enough, you'll almost always see several of the crabs trying to find a way to get out of the trap. And pretty soon you'll probably see one of the crabs figure out he or she can climb up the side of the wire crab trap, across the top to that open hole, all to escape the trap. You see, they're not stupid. 
But that crap never makes the escape good. Why is that? I think you probably know. Before the crab completes the great escape, one of the crabs still on the floor of the trap reaches up and with one claw pulls that crab back down into the trap with the other crabs. Now this this story was published on, uh, what was the date of it? June 21st of 2018. So here's how I finished this, the this story. Uh, da, da, da. I'm looking, I'm looking. I'll get there. <laughs> uh, Democrats are scrambling for a message for the 2018 midterms that they can use to tickle the fancy of American voters that will recapture Democrats' previous long control of the American political narrative. Their quest for the right message for voters is eerily similar to those crabs I just told you about. There are some crabs, Democrats, who see that meat in the trap. They crawled in to get it, and they see the way out of the trap. They struggle to get out, but they seem to always get stuck in the trap because those below, instead of following those up the side, across the top, and out of the trap, they reach up to pull those almost successful crabs back into the trap with them. Interesting, huh? That was 2018. (laughs) I really don't think they've got this figured out. And here was my summary, very short summary in that story. Here's the message to Pelosi, Schumer, and company. Go ahead and stay in the bottom of that crab trap with the chicken necks. Yep, you found some food. Not enough to survive for long, but it'll take care of hunger for a while. You can refuse to follow the other crab that realize staying there will eventually result in your demise, and that crab works to get out of the trap. Of course, you'd be wise to look for ways to make things better, in this case, find food for later on. But if you decide to stay in the trap, Why not just leave the crab alone that doesn't want to stay in there with you? He sees a way out, and he chooses to take the way out. Instead of pulling him back down to your level at the bottom of the crab trap, just let him go live his life to the best of his ability. He just might find some food he'd be willing to share with you. Isn't it interesting? And what's amazing, what did I say the date was on that? October? June. June 21st, 2018. It was applicable then. What were we doing? We were looking at the run-up to the 2020 election. And we all know what happened in the 2020 election. But the Democrat Party is no different today than it was in the run-up to the 2020 elections. Nancy Pelosi, this is what made me realize when she said it, and it was midsummer of 2020, when she was being pressured really hard by journalists in one of her Thursday press meetings about the elections coming up and about the very bleak look of the candidates that were running, including Joe Biden, for president at that time. 
Nancy Pelosi finally got mad and she pointed her finger at the crowd of reporters that were in front of her and said, if you don't hear any, if you haven't heard anything that I've said, listen to this. On January 20th of 2021, I will, I will make Joe Biden the President of the United States in his oath of office. That was in midsummer. What the heck was going on? She knew what was going on. And of course now, looking back, we're finding out every day that there was very, very rampant surreptitious activity that was underway across the board in that plan to figure out a way to just flip five key states. That would be all they would need to give Joe Biden the presidency. That's the big lie. No, it's not. The cover-up of that. And they've been really cracking down and have really been covering this up for good. One thing you can say about Democrats, they're good about drawing in and working as a team. There's not a lot of infighting in the Democrat Party. Nancy Pelosi is dealing and has been dealing with probably the worst I've ever seen in her squad the squad, those far leftists that have no clue what life is supposed to be about, don't understand capitalism, socialism, and totalitarianism. They don't understand the differences. And Pelosi can't keep their mouths shut. <laughs> and I got to be honest with you, I kind of like it. I do. I kind of like that. I like to see the infight, infighting there. It's kind of good. This morning, just minutes ago, Russia has said Mariupol has been captured. Russia says they've captured that city. Putin has opted to blockade it, not storm that Mariupol steel plant. They fully captured the key Donbass Black Sea port of Mariupol. That's according to Sergei Shogu, Vladimir Putin's defense minister. More than 2,000 Ukrainian fighters still remain entrenched at that steel plant in the city. Putin called off plans for the military to storm the sprawling steel plant in the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol and said on Thursday he wanted Ukrainian forces there to be hermetically sealed instead. In other words, we know where they are. They're stuck there. They can't get out. If this has happened, the full capture of that city, which has been besieged by Russian forces for weeks now, that's a central part of Moscow's plans to cut Ukraine off from the Sea of Azov and forge a land bridge connecting Russian annexed Crimea to Russia. Putin, in a Kremlin meeting with Sergei Shogu, his defense minister, gave the order to call off the plan to storm the steel plant saying it was better to save the lives of Russian soldiers and officers and to sit back and wait while Ukrainian forces ran out of supplies. Isn't it interesting? All these Russian people, they're looking at the United States specifically, and we are labeled now as being weak by our military foes. Why? 
What did we open the show with? We were talking about what's going on over there. United States bragging about some ground weapons that showed up in Ukraine yesterday, 54 days into this invasion. And the Ukrainian leadership, Volodymyr Zelensky specifically, the president, has been begging for weapons. Give us weapons. Give us ammunition. We don't want any of your fighters, your military people. We're not asking for them to come fight for us. We're fighting. We just need more to fight with. And that kind of makes sense when you hear what Putin said about Mariupol and not going in and just wiping everybody out. All you got to do is keep the city locked up and those Ukrainian soldiers can't leave that steel plant. They know they're there. So they eliminated however many people are there. 2,000, that's what I told you the story said. 2,000 of them still remain entrenched at the Azovstal steel plant in the city. One thing you got to say about Putin when it comes to executing war plans, he's done a good job of doing it. Florida, the state of Florida, they're in the news every day. And in addition to all the Disney mess and the law that was passed that was preventing now babies, Florida babies, from being harassed by school teachers and administrators at schools in pre-K and elementary about their sexual choices, all of the stuff that goes with that. Besides that, there's some other good stuff happening there. Repeat offender crimes are down. Not many states can say that. How's Florida doing it? By targeting known violent criminals. And when they're found and prosecuted, giving them stiff penalties for the worst of them, it's reduced violent crime in one community in Florida as big cities with Democrat DAs around the country, including New York, L.A., and Chicago, are seeing massive crime spikes in their cities. In 2021, Jacksonville's murders were down 30%. Overall shootings down 17%. That's according to the Sheriff's Department there. David Chapman is a spokesperson for the Fourth Circuit State Attorney's Office. Given last year's downturn, he said, our numbers to date aren't far off the mark and thankfully have not spiked like other cities. The Fourth Circuit covers Clay, Nassau, and Duval counties and the city of Jacksonville and it's led by State Attorney Melissa Nelson, who made waves for finding new ways to prosecute those known criminals, like pursuing firearms charges in connection with guns flaunted in music videos. She sought and she's got stiffer sentences for people convicted of gun crimes. This year, her jurisdiction is seeing another drop in homicides, although shootings remained even with last year's at the start of the month. After experiencing a substantial downturn in violent crime in 21, we continue to work together to combat violent crime in hopes that this trend continues, she said. Currently, we're on par with last year's numbers. Improving public safety and fighting violent crime remains a top priority for our office and law enforcer partners. In February, 
she got a manslaughter conviction against a drug dealer that was implicated in a Jacksonville woman's overdose death. She has supported a streamlined process for prosecutors to obtain warrants without supervisory approval. That's a stark contrast to the micromanaged oversight in Los Angeles. In a memo to her staff, she argued in favor of identifying and incapacitating dangerous repeat offenders. When she decided last year she was going to really be aggressive about gun crimes, a lot of people mocked her. One of her detractors was going on and on about this never works, putting people away and throwing away the key. That's Betsy Branter smith spokesperson for the National Police Association and also a retired police sergeant with nearly three decades on the job. And now look, since she's been doing it, it's working. This is the big piece of what's going on down at the southern border that worries me the most, the crime. I'm talking about crimes other than just the crime of crossing the border illegally, which is a crime. It's a felony crime. Not prosecuting people that do that sends a message. And we're stupid. Joe Biden and anybody else in his administration is stupid to think that allowing all of that to happen across our southern border, all of it very surreptitiously late at night, transferring these illegals to towns and cities across the country. We told you the story about the huge fentanyl bust in Michigan with three illegals that had come in across the southern border and what they were doing was purposely taking fentanyl to drug distributions, people, locations in Michigan for the upper Midwest. This is all on Joe Biden. This is all on his people. They've got to end it, folks. They've got to end it. Thanks for being here. Don't forget tomorrow, 9 a.m., we'll be back. If you miss anything, go to your favorite podcast hosting site, any show, and get it all. See you tomorrow. Desperado Why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're hard one. I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can't hurt you somehow. Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy? She'll beat you if she's able You know the queen of hearts is always your best bet Now it seems to me some fine things Have been laid upon your table But you only want the ones that you can't get Desperado Oh, you ain't getting no younger Your pain and your hunger You're driving you home And freedom, oh freedom Well, that's just some people talking Your prison is walking through this world all alone 
your feet get cold in the winter time sky won't snow and the sun won't shine it's hard to tell the nighttime from the day Before it's too late